All right, well, good evening, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. Good evening, everyone. I am sorry. I promise I'll be done in, in just a few minutes so you can continue your conversation. It's wonderful to have you all here tonight. Okay, how many of you are six for six? Six for six. Wow. Okay, well, congratulations on that for what it's worth. Um, any first-timers tonight? Anybody here for the first time? Willing to admit it? Well, great. Welcome tonight. It's great to have you here. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Hannah, good to have you. Good to see you. Well, hey, uh, week six, excited about tonight. We're going to talk about prayer. This is going to be an introduction to prayer. There's so many things to talk about. Um, but before I do that, I want to tell you that a part of the Alpha course is something we call the Alpha Weekend. And uh, it, is, it happens on uh, May 20th. It just looks like a Tuesday night, but it's May 20th for dinner here. And then Saturday morning, May 21st. It is a highlight of the Alpha course. And we typically have a great turnout for that. And I want to encourage you, if there is any way you can come, maybe say, well, I can't come Saturday. Well, then come Friday. If you can't come Friday, then come Saturday morning. The breakfast Saturday morning is worth it. The, this, is why, this is why Shoney's is out of business in New Orleans. The Pete Shefferstein breakfast is amazing. And so tonight there's a registration. We would love for you to come. Again, totally free. It's a part of the course. Uh, it really uh, it picks up on uh, the person of the Holy Spirit. And so that the weekend really surrounds that and want to encourage you so much to come and be a part of the Alpha Weekend. So tonight, why and how do I pray? We're on page 30. And again, as I said, this is just an introduction to prayer. But you know, prayer is really about communication. And all of life is about communication. And uh, it's interesting, there were some, some <clears throat> excuse me, some articles in newspapers not that long ago that talked about the issues of communication and the advancements that we have in communication. And... Um, in one article in New York, it says, uh, having, after having dug to a depth of 10 feet last year, New York scientists found traces of copper wire dating back 150 years. And they came to the conclusion that their ancestors already had a telephone network more than 150 years ago. It's fascinating. But not to be outdone by the New Yorkers, in the weeks that followed, California scientists dug to a depth of 20 feet. And shortly thereafter, headlines in the Los Angeles Times read this. California archaeologists have found traces of 200-year-old copper wire and have concluded that their ancestors already had an advanced high-tech communications network 50 years earlier than the New Yorkers. Well, then a week later, in the Daily Advertiser, a local newspaper in Bunky, Louisiana... They reported the following. After digging as deep as 30 feet in the rice fields near Forked Island, Boudreaux, a self-taught archaeologist, reported that he found absolutely nothing. Boudreaux has therefore concluded that at least 300 years ago, Louisiana had already gone wireless. <laughs> Discover Louisiana. 
So anyway, you know, the thing about the good news about prayer is that it's similar to Verizon, AT&T and T-Mobile, that it's wireless. Uh, but unlike Verizon, AT&T and T-Mobile, the reception is always clear in prayer and our calls are never dropped. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight, prayer. Now, what is prayer not? Let's just talk about, you know, when we, I first introduced you to Alpha, I introduced you to what Alpha is not. And I hope you have discovered over the weeks you've been here that we have kept that, our word on what Alpha is not and shared with you what Alpha is. But Alpha is not this. What I thought, pardon me, prayer is not this. Um, and it's exactly what I thought it was. Prayer is not let's make a deal. God, I'll give you 10 of these, you know, if you'll give me X of those. Prayer is not my thinking of things I can do to get God to do what I want him to do or think I want him to do. That's meology. That's BVM currency. That's blessed vending machine currency. It's transactional. It's non-relational. And that's what I thought prayer was. It's just getting stuff out of a supernatural God that could do things I could not. And arguably, when we begin to look at the Bible, arguably prayer is the most important activity of our lives. It is conversation with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And just as there are stereotypes that keep us outside the pages of the Bible, there are lots of stereotypes about prayer that keep us from communicating biblically. And biblical prayer is that which is proper, it's personal, it can be spontaneous, and intimate communication with God. And so the Bible, what we talked about last week, is instrumental in teaching us what prayer, conversation with God is, and what it's not. And prayer is it's two-way communication. It's speaking and it's listening. And God has, I've experienced in my life, God speaks to us in many ways. He speaks to us directly uh, through our senses. He speaks to us through others. He speaks to us uh, through circumstances. He speaks to us through the Bible. And prayer is our lifeline to God, like communication is with other people. As we talked about in Genesis chapter 1 and the, the 26th verse, God made us in his own image. God is the ultimate communicator. And he has put within us his image that we see in our communication with others and can know that God desires for us to communicate with him. And the main why, the main reason why we pray is that he wants us to know him. He wants us to, through life, through, through the dash, if you will, he wants us to encounter him. Uh, and so, and we can see this. So this scripture that I've shared with you before, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have eternal life. So loving is communicating. It doesn't say for God so pitied the world, so God felt for God so felt sorry for the world. It said for God so loved the world. Love is communication. And how did he do that? He gave the God so loved the world that he sacrificed his one and only son. That if we believe in him, we not perish, but we would receive, we would receive eternal life. And like we've talked about before, eternal life is well, 
Who's eternal? God is eternal. And God gives us life that ebbs from him. It comes to us from him. And so even, so God communicates his love to the world in that he gave his son. God is the ultimate communicator because love speaks, sacrifice speaks. He came to us so that in order that we could come to him. It was incumbent upon him to come to us first and communicate with us first. And I think many of us in this room have experienced the initiative. We talked about this in week three, the initiative work, communicative work of God to reveal himself to us. I mean, Jesus even says this in Matthew chapter 11. He kind of prays to, he doesn't pray to us. Please don't misunderstand. But he says, come to me. Come to me. He's communicating with us. He's initiating. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give. There's communication to you rest. Learn of me. There's communication. He communicates himself that he is gentle and humble at heart. So we can receive that rest that he offers to all for our souls, for our minds, our wills, our emotions, for our very lives. And just like we get to know one another by being together with one another, so it is, obviously not physical to physical, with God. And the Bible tells us that prayer is addressed to the Father, directly to God. That's... Now, that is wonderful because I kind of growing up in my tradition, I did not get that, that there's no bureaucracy in prayer. There's there are no departments. There are no long lines to stand in. There's there's no being put on hold. There's no level of prayer that's more important than other that's going to get more attention than another. Here's what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew, chapter six. He says, when you pray, go into your room. Close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, now think about this for a minute. Let's not just run past this. This is, that's just what this says. When you communicate with me, when you converse with me, go into your room. Now, do you, do you understand what God is saying here? So this is, this is, this is intimate. This is personal. Uh, this is confidential. Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, there are many things that could be rewarded. But the thing I want us to grasp tonight is that the greatest reward that God could give us is a deeper knowing of him. Again, now, now if, I mean, just think of the person that you would like to say to you, uh, hey, when you talk to me, I want you to go into your room and, and your father who is unseen will reward you. Okay, now, who on the planet would really impress you to say to you, hey, come on and let's hang out in, in your room for a minute and let's just, just talk for a while. I mean, think of what human being that could be that would really, really impress you that they wanted to be with you and communicate with you. You know who that person is? Okay, well, we're not talking about that person. We're talking about the God who created everything, including you and me, is saying, come to me. It's amazing prayer, conversation, communication, listening is amazingly intimate. 
The dad, this dad, loves being with his kids. And so this is what I want us to see here. God calls us, says, pray there and pray to whom? Who does he say to pray to? He says, pray to him. This is great news. He hasn't asked us, with all due respect, hear me humbly, with all due respect. Uh, we can grow up in traditions where we're, where, where we're encouraged to pray to certain other people, certain others that have passed from this life into the next life. Again, with all due respect, I can't find that anywhere in the Bible. I just can't find it. And again, who would want to go? Okay, so everyone, there's a pecking order in a workplace, right? Um, let's say you're the man. Let's say you just got a, a job with... Um, I don't want this to be political. Um, you just got a job with that place. Okay, huge fortune. I'm just trying to be careful. Just a fortune five company. Fortune five, the number one company in the world. And you got a job in the mailroom. Okay, congratulations. Now, what happens when you get the job in the mailroom is the first thing that happens is the CEO, the chairman of the board, comes to you and says, hey, um, so excited that you've joined us. If you've got any questions, if you have any issues, anything at all you want to talk about, I, I don't want you to be concerned about your supervisor or your manager or the director or the VP or the senior VP. I want you to just come straight to me. My door is open all the time. How would you feel about that? Well, first off, you wouldn't believe it, but, <laughs> and it shouldn't be believed because that's just not true. But this is what the God of the universe is saying. Come to me. There are no underlings that you have to go to. There are no steps that you have to take up the pecking order. Hey, when you go into your room, close the door, come to me, pray to me. This is what God is saying. So if what the Bible is telling us is true, wow, how amazing this is of God. And so prayer is to the Father. Prayer is through the Son. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. Now, again, when Paul writes this letter, okay, he is writing to those, those of you who are here for the first time, I'm sorry. Um, okay, he is writing to those who have been unplugged out of death, plugged into life, been placed into Christ. So when Paul, when you see these letters to the churches, these are letters to people that are alive and in Christ. And so Paul writes, for through him, that is Jesus, we both, that's Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one Spirit. This is great news. We have access to the Father. This is what we've been, we've been talking about. The access is brought to us through Jesus Christ, through the work of the cross that, make, that takes away that separation, that chasm of separation because of our sins. And we're taken out of Adam and given access to the Father by the one Spirit, speaking there of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul writes to the young pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. So what the scripture is telling us is that Jesus is the one that gives us access. He's the mediator. He's the one that gives us the ability to commune, communicate, to be with God. And that is for those who are in Christ. And then one other scripture in 1 John 2. I love this. 
Paul's right, John is writing to, again, those in Christ. He says, my dear children, I write this, this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, well, that would be all of us. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Okay, so you see this? Our advocate is Jesus. He's our only advocate. He's the one that comes alongside. He's the counselor. He's the attorney. He's the one. And look at what it says here. An advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It doesn't say that my prayers are the atoning sacrifice for my sins. It doesn't say that my good works are the atoning sacrifice for my sins. It says the person, Jesus Christ, is the acceptable, atoning, wiper out of my sins. And not just for ours, but the sins of the whole world. I mean, this, so we're seeing here, I hope more and more, that prayer is this deep, intimate opportunity to commune and converse with the God who created us. So prayer is to the Father, through the Son, and we pray in the power of the Spirit. Paul writes to the church at Rome in the same way the Spirit, this is such good news, hear this, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. You ever been like, we don't know what we ought to pray for. Been there? Often there. There right now. Okay. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Now, if what this Bible is saying is true and Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead, he is the atoning sacrifice and he gives us his spirit. And this Holy Spirit, who we will talk about in two weeks, the person of the Holy Spirit, is the one who, according to the scripture, intercedes for us beyond words, beyond our ability to frame words. He does that for us. But, you know, prayer is not just dialogue with anybody, not just, I mean, we've gotten all these things, not just these surveys, political survey calls at dinner time. I mean, but and, and you've got a lot of those calls. But imagine for what if the president of the United States just wanted to give you a call? Now, can you imagine that if that were to happen? I mean, the president of the United States... excuse me for just a second you don't mind if I take this to you yes mr. president no sir I, I, I thought it was past your bedtime yes sir you want me to do an alpha course in Moscow with Vladimir Putin. Yes, sir. Yeah, could, could I get back with you? Just, I'm just tied up for a second here. So, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Okay. I'll, I'll tell them. Yes. He said, vote for him in 20. No. Okay. Goodbye. He does that. It's like every week six, he happens to call. Um, okay, so that really wasn't, if you, in case you're concerned. I, I, I. Don't go telling anybody, you're not going to believe what happened. Tonight. 
But, I mean, how exciting would that be? Again, regardless of your political persuasion, the President of the United States of America called you to communicate with you, to talk with you. Um, You wouldn't turn that call down. I wouldn't turn that call down. I'd record it if I could. Um, But here's the question. Would we turn down a call from God? What if he has been calling? Um, Well, I would contend that he is initiating the call. But the question is, will we answer? Will we let it go to voicemail? Will we cut the call off? Um, So, you know, possibly, you know, the bad news could be that you haven't answered yet. Took me a while to answer. But I wonder, and again, this is none of my business, how many times, and think about this, how many times have you experienced him calling through your life? Things you weren't quite sure what those things were. Ways in which God could have been communicating with you through your life. That even make me think of times that you're... You could be dead right now, but he saved your life in ways that are just, you just didn't know, you didn't have a category for that. But he communicated with you. I'm calling. I'm calling. Will you answer? So prayer is about that. Even God's name speaks communica- communication. So in, in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, in the first verse, look at this says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to say, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This Word here is Jesus, the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. So even his name is communication. Even his name is conversation. In his na- even his name is initiative to reveal himself to us. The word. And then also, here's Jesus, the last, right before he goes to the cross, he says, this is eternal life. Now, okay. Now, if you're thinking for a moment this is true, you should be paying attention right now. I'm paying attention right now. This is eternal life. Okay, this is it. Here it is. You ready? This is eternal life. Okay, this is life here. This is eternal life. It's going on forever. Here's what happens. Here's how it happens. This is eternal life. You may want to write this down or not. This is eternal life. Look what it says. That you know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. How are you going to know anybody unless there is communication? How are you going to know supernatural when we are natural? Because in that is incumbent upon that which is higher to communicate with that which is lower. Supernatural to communicate with that which is lower. And through the scripture, we see, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. I came for you. Will you receive? Will you pick up the phone? Will you answer the call. See, this is eternal life that you know. It doesn't say know the moral code. It doesn't say that you know the rules. It doesn't say that you've memorized the Bible. The eternal life is that you would know. See how intimate this is? You know 
the Father and the Son who the Father sent. And that is all part and parcel of communication. He gives us this word to communicate to us who he is, who we are, his desire, his designs for our lives, how we know him more. So how do we come to know anyone, really, if not for communication? Now, um, typically I will pick a, somebody out of the crowd now, but I am going to salve, I'm going to save anyone from the humiliation that I typically bring. Um, so I will, now you got to be married, Ashton, sorry. Um, so anyway, but let's just, let me just use myself because I do a pretty good job of humiliating myself. Um, so Annette and I met uh, September, I think it was September 13th, September 12th, 1974. Um, some of you go, my God, this guy is ancient. Um, and uh, we met, as I told you, met at the Deke House, remember, swinging from a chandelier. Um, and uh, so if you were to ask me the question, Frank, how much, how much, did, you tr how much did you know Annette on September 11th, 1974? And my answer would be, well, couldn't, I didn't even know her. How much did you trust her on September 12th? Well, I met her for a moment fell madly in love immediately, but I couldn't, I mean, that, yes, it's true. It's really true. Um, so but if you fast forward and say, well, how much did you, did you know Annette uh, in 1975? I said, well, I knew her more. Well, the more you knew her, did, the, did you trust her more? I said, well, the more I knew her, well, probably not. No, probably not then. No. Okay, let's go fast forward a little bit more. So 1970. Seven. Yeah, the, I knew her much more. She had surrendered her life to Christ. She'd come to Christ. Um, and uh, so, I, yeah, I, I knew her more. And I, and I did. I trusted her more. And the more I got to know her, the more I got to trust her. And the more I knew her and trusted her, the more I loved her. You see the progression? I knew her more. Through life's experience, I trusted her more. Through more of life's experience, I loved her more. And from that love came this desire to serve her more. Not, not to manipulate her necessarily all the time. But, <laughs> but, but really, the more I knew her, the more I trusted her, the more I still love you. Loved you, loved her, and the more I desire to serve her. I mean, that's... And that is a, a beautiful picture, truly, of, of, and then the more I served her, God kind of put in me this desire to know her even more and to trust her even more, and this just kind of snowballed. Well, that, in an imperfect human way, is really what happens in terms of our relationship with God. The more we spend time getting to know Him, the more there is a work of the Spirit in our lives to trust him and to trust him more and to love him and to love him more and to serve him and to serve him more. This is the experience of 
the follower of Jesus Christ who makes it a lifestyle, a life and a lifestyle from the life that Christ has given us to come to know him more and more. And this becomes less and less mysterious. Yes, it is mysterious. But I can kind of put a handle on that a little bit. And so the more I read his word, the more I spend time just praying, the more I spend time just even quiet. There's something that God initiates and does in me that is so beyond my ability to, again, it would be like, it, it would be like my trying to frame for you how I'd explain how much I love my wife. I can't do that well at all, but I know it. And so that is what I have found is true. Now, again, that, that, that doesn't happen in every marriage situation. <laughs> Just, it doesn't. But um, this is a, a this, they, they managed to hang out together, but they, it just didn't really work out real well for them. But, um, but they did happen to go to Jerusalem together. Very late in life, they went to Jerusalem together and uh, were, were experiencing something of Israel. Well, unfortunately, while they were in Israel, uh, this gentleman's bride passed away. She died. Um, I know. Sad, yeah. Um, so the, the Israeli undertaker, the, the Jerusalem undertaker, came to the, the, the widower and said to him, uh, so sorry about your wife. Um, now, you know, we could handle this a couple of ways. You can, we can have her sent back to the United States, but that's going to cost you about $10,000 at least to get her body back into the U.S., depending upon where you're going. Or you can have her, you could have her buried here in Jerusalem. It'd be wonderful. And it only cost you about 150 bucks. And he said, huh, that's, that's interesting. He said, um, no, I think I'll just go ahead and have her sent yeah, I'm going to go ahead and have her sent back to the United States. And he says, why would you do that? I mean, this to be buried in the Holy Land. I mean, this is wonderful. Why, sir, would you do this? And it save you a lot of money. He said, well, a long time ago, a man died here. Yes? And three days later, he rose from the dead. I just can't take that chance. <laughs> so, um, so anyway. All right. So what was I talking about? How did I? But a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you the, uh, the analogy of... Um, the analogy of, of saying, I do. That you and I, remember, I think I used Annette and me, I could write, believe all the right things about Annette, uh, Annette and never said, say, I do. I can believe she's beautiful, great cook, rich dad. I can believe all those great things. But until I say, I do, I haven't, right? And that's the difference between being convinced, if you've been familiar, that's the difference between being convinced and being committed. So, but let's just say 
the marriage goes off with a hitch. I don't know, understand why people say, did the marriage go off without a hitch? It's like, it wouldn't be a marriage if it went off without a hitch, wouldn't it? Think about that. Okay. So, um, but, so we say, I do. Now, and then we say, I do. We both say, I do. We go out the church, down the stairs. But interestingly enough, instead of getting in one limousine, there are two limousines. They're facing opposite directions. And Annette gets in one of the limousines, and I get in the other limousine, and we pop our heads up out of the sunroof. And as the limousines drive away in separate directions, we go, that was just a beautiful time together. Gorgeous ceremony. Can't wait to see the pictures in the video. Hope to see you again sometime. Now, that's insane. See, uh, because why is that? Because I do is just the beginning of a lifetime of communication, right? It's just the beginning that I do creates a, a oneness that I do with Jesus creates a newness of life, one with him in Christ, no longer single and separated from him, but now, if you will, married to, bonded to forever with, with Christ. And you go, well, but here's the interesting thing about that. When I was married for one day, now think about this, I was as married as I would ever be. Now, how experienced was I as a married man? But I would never be more married than I was the moment after the Reverend Bill Brown pronounced us husband and wife. But what's happened since then? Over the years, we have grown in our knowing one another and trusting one another and loving one another and serving one another in our communication so that we have grown in the oneness that was created when we were ma married, no longer two, but one. And that, is, that, that truth of marriage is the same truth of being in Christ. When you say, I do, when you get in the wheelbarrow, when you receive the gift... You are as in Christ as you will ever be. Can't be more in, can't be less in. You're as much in Christ as you will ever be. But just like we grow in relationships with others, just as we grow as physical human beings, we grow in our relationship with God through knowing him in the many facets and many ways he has given us to know him. And that is wonderful, wonderful news. And so one of the things, okay, so what do we do? Well, we pray following the model of Jesus in the gospel of Mark. Mark writes, for very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, some of us aren't morning persons. This is not to say, okay, if you're going to be in Christ, you've got to get up very early in the morning. That is not the point. The point here is not when, but that, okay? Forget the when and go with a that, right? So in other words, a time when there are going to be no interruptions, a time where he could just be with his father, because you know what was happening, just maybe what happens to many of your schedules. You get up, you get to the office, and people are after your time, or your boss is after you. You don't have a second to think. 
And so that time that you and I would just carve out in the morning, at noon, wherever, whenever it works, just to be with the Father. Find your room, if you will. Remember Matthew 6. Go to your room. Close the door. Remove the interruptions. And begin to get to know the God who knows you and loves you. So, like I said, not when, morning, evening, middle, but that. Work that out in your schedule. Make that work with God. Because his promise is you will, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with your heart. That's his promise. So if this Bible is true, that is true. And that is amazing. The God of the universe it's for you. It's for you. It's for me. He's for you. He's for me. And so why pray? Well, there, there are great rewards. I mean, the Bible talks about Jesus being our joy. And in, 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 uh, in Nehemiah, back in the Hebrew scriptures, Nehemiah writes that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Um, in Ephesians, Paul writes, he is, he, Christ is our peace who has broken down every dividing wall, every communicative dividing wall. Jesus has broken them down. And so we see Jesus in the 16th chapter of John. He says, until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Now, there's a difference between joy and happiness. Just so you know, joy and happiness are not synonymous terms. Terms Happiness is what happens when something you like happens. But if something happens that you don't like, then there is unhappiness. That is not joy. Joy, the Bible, is called a, as a fruit of the Spirit of God. It's something that God gives you. That's something that comes with Christ. He is himself our joy. And so, so just think about this scripture for a minute because I can go, wait, I can ask anything in the name of Jesus and I'm going to get it so that my joy may be full. Let me tell you, it is rare that I get something physical that makes my joy full. As a matter of fact, I can't think of anything that I've gotten temporary that makes my joy full. It may be here for a minute, but you know what happens when you get the new car, right? You know, when you, when you get the house or the new clothes or the new job or the new... This is what happens. Jesus is talking about some, someone here that is beyond the stuff. Yes, he gives us... I'm grateful for God answering our prayers. We'll talk about that in a moment. The things that we need. He is our father. He knows that. But there's a joy that supersedes anything that this world can Give us even the things that God himself gives us. He wants our joy to be filled. Jesus said, I came that you may have life, that they might have life and have it to the full. That's experiencing, knowing, trusting, loving, serving God. That's the part and parcel of why we pray to get to know him. And that others would know him. And that we would experience the work of God in all that we have the privilege of being participants in. We pray, just so you let you in on a secret here. We pray for you guys all the time. 
Did you know that? No, you didn't know that. We pray for you guys by name all the time. We're so grateful that God has privileged us to get to know each and every one of you. It's a privilege to us. And that's, so we're communicating with God about you guys all the time. And grateful, so grateful to do it. And so rewards, joy, peace. Again, these rewards are just, it's, it's, it's part and parcel of being in Christ. Joy, peace. Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He says, again, to those who are in Christ, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition. Here's a big word right now that I'm not really spending enough time in tonight. This issue of thanksgiving. There is no way I can be a thanksgiver and be a complainer. It, it, it just, it just, it's oil and vinegar. It just, oil and water rather. It just can't happen. So don't be anxious about anything. In everything by prayer and asking God, that's petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, it doesn't say we're necessarily going to get the answer like we want, does it? I don't see that here. But this is what it does say. Pray, ask, thank God, present your request, and the peace of God that passes our natural ability to understand or know something will guard, I love this word, guard. It's a military word like having guards set around you, protecting you, will guard your hearts, okay? Your, your, your whole being, but I, I'll just say your emotions, will guard your emotions, your feelings, and your minds, your thinking. Where? In Christ Jesus. That's where he does that. And so prayer unleashes, if you will, the God of peace, the God of joy, in the midst of very difficult and challenging circumstances. And Jesus said this, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be at peace. I have overcome the world. He overcame the world for us because you and I <laughs> do not have the ability to overcome the things that are going on in this world. So page 31, does God always answer prayer? Yes, he always answers prayer. He answers prayer, yes. He answers prayer, not now. Uh, he answers prayer, I have something better for you. No. And then he'll also answer, you got to be out of your freaking mind if you think I'm going to answer that prayer. That would ruin you. It's <laughs> really. Um, John Stott said this, if God says no... The requests are either not good in themselves or not good for us or for others, directly or indirectly, immediately or ultimately. So we've got a, we've got a God that sees from here, from this level where we're right here, and he sees it across the expanse of time. He knows. The Bible says he knows that which is good for us, that which is not good for us. Um, and so 
If he says no, there's a reason. There's a reason. Not because he's having a bad day. Not because he's ticked with you. He knows what is good. And, and I love this. I wrote this quote down. I hope you can read this. It says, prayer may or may not change things. But prayer that looks for God and his will always changes the one praying. In many cases, it's not the circumstance that needs changing. I'm the one that needs changing. And God may have orchestrated the circumstances for the very reason of changing us. Ultimately, all prayer is for God's purposes to be revealed and for us to come to know him better. And that's always good for us. It's always good for us. So prayer may not always change the circumstances or not immediately but God's work is to transform us, as Paul writes, by the renewing of our minds, by the renewing of the way we think. Uh, uh, I didn't want to do that. Let me just go back for a minute. I thought I had this screen, but I don't. It says, Jack Taylor said, I believe I'm more grateful for the prayers God didn't answer yes to than I am for the ones he did. Because had he answered them, I would be ruined. Think about that. All the things that we just knew we had to have, God knew differently. There is a, I'm going to show a little video here that I almost showed prematurely a moment ago. Um, some of you maybe read the book Unbroken. You were familiar with a guy by the name of Louis Zamperini. Um, Amazing story of a World War II uh, bombardier. I think he was in, uh, he flew in B-24s. Um, his, thank you. Uh, and, uh, and he, uh, his plane, jalopy plane, crashed in the Pacific Ocean. Um, Zamperini was not a follower of Christ. Um, but there's a part in the movie where he and a couple of his um, ship, airplane ship mates were on the waters in the Pacific. They, they lived out there for, I think it was over 40 weeks, uh, survived Japanese attacks. I mean, literally zeros trying to shoot to death them in these, in these uh, pontoons, in these rafts. And this is just a little clip from the movie. I thought you'd say in term, that it'd be interesting to see in terms of his crying out to God. So, 
if you're familiar with his life, uh, Zamperini, and I would encourage you, if you have not seen the movie Unbroken or read the book Unbroken, it's a fascinating read. Um, Zamperini uh, washed up and was taken by the Japanese. He survived horrific uh, persecution uh, by the Japanese um, went back to the United States, became a raging alcoholic, didn't want to live, uh, beset by so many memories. And then one night, he went into, his wife had become a follower of Christ, and one night he walked into a Billy Graham Evangelistic Association uh, revival, tent meeting. And that night, Louis Zamperini didn't fulfill his promise to God. God fulfilled his promise to Zamperini. And Zamperini became a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, actually going back to Japan on several occasions doing everything he could to and did win many of his Japanese prison guards to Christ. And he lived his whole life. I think he finally died at the age of 93, or maybe 97. I think maybe 97. A passionate follower of Jesus Christ who longed to <clears throat> express the forgiveness given to him to as many as he could particularly to those who were his enemies during World War II. And there are stories abounding like that that I would love to sit and tell you. I've got three of them right here, and I have no time to do that. So if you want to come sit at our table after... No, I'm just kidding. Don't you? Um, but there are tables. There are, there are stories like that in the midst of this room tonight that would be probably appropriate for some of those to be to be told so so how do we pray well one of the things we can do is pray scripture back to God okay uh, let's do this I want you to turn take your Bible if you will your alpha Bible if you've got it if you don't have it um, it's Psalm 23 it's a it's a, a, a scripture that we are very familiar with um, Unfortunately, the only time some people hear Psalm 23 is at funerals. Um, it's way too late by then. Um, you you should have lived this while you were still alive. Um, but one of the things we can do um, in terms of prayer, communicating with God, is to read Scripture as a prayer back to God. 506. Did I? 506. So I'm going to take this, and this is perfectly fine for you to do this. I'm going to turn the Lord's, uh, the Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd. And I'm going to just turn the words a little bit, doing no damage to the scripture, but making it more personal. So I won't be saying like to you, Katie, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'm going to turn this directly to God. And there is, and the Psalms is a great way to do it. Because Psalms are prayers, they're, they're songs that were written primarily by King David and others directly 
to God. And if I had more time, we'd read more of those. I encourage you to do Psalm 25 tonight, just to enjoy that. But here, this Psalm 23, just follow with me. Lord, you are my shepherd. And because you're my shepherd, I, I shall not be in want. Lord, you lead me. You, you make me lie down in green pastures. God, thank you that you lead me beside still waters. God, it is you who restores my soul. Lord, you have led me and you will continue to lead me in paths of righteousness for your namesake. Lord, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You have given me so much. And surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in your house with you forever. See, so just one example of how you just can take the scripture and you learn the scripture. And we pray, as we learn the scripture, we pray the scripture back to God, which allows us to know his word more and know him more. And that is throughout the scripture. And there's some examples that your table hosts may be able to give you tonight of other scriptures such as that. So, um, so Jesus taught his disciples to pray with a prayer that every one of us probably in this room, I could probably put up a hundred bucks and know that everybody, may, maybe most everybody in this, were, in this room would know what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's probably more, you know, we call, or called the Our Father. It's probably better said called the Disciples' Prayer because it's the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. But he did not ask them to mindlessly repeat this prayer. He wanted them to think of this prayer in, a different, in different ways than we, unfortunately, traditionally have come to do so today. So let's just do this. Just let's say, for example, that the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer, the Our Father, is more of a table of contents than it actually is a prayer that we're just to pray over and over and over again, sometimes as fast as we possibly can to get it over with. So, chapter one, Our Father, hallowed be your name. Now, there is so much to be prayed right out of that. Father, hallowed, holy is your name. I see over and over again where Jesus addresses God as Father. And when I begin to look in the letters to the churches, they are addressing God as Father. Holy, there's so many scriptures that you and I could just go, okay, let's find scriptures where it says, holy is your name name. And so we, we, we see this, your name, you are holy. Again, it's an acknowledgement that thank you for your grace that I can call you Abba, Daddy, Father. And you're my holy father. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. I mean, what is the kingdom? It's where, uh, pardon me, what is the kingdom? It's where the king is. And for those of us who are in Christ, 
we, the Bible says, we're going to talk about this more in week eight, that we become the dwelling place. He comes into us as we come into him and he makes his dwelling place in us. He joins himself to us. Just think about that for a nanosecond, that God has made me his dwelling place when he births me into himself, when I'm born again and he makes me a new creation in Christ, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, Lord, I got a will, but you got a will. And your will is better than my will. Your will knows all things. I'm putting, when I do that, I place God's will above my will. Why? Because I've come to know him. And the more I've known him, the more I trust him. And the more I trust him, the more I love him. The more I love him, I want to serve him. I want to know his will above my will. Even that was true. Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, Jesus said, remember? Night before he was crucified. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Okay. Give us this day our daily bread. God wants us to to pray for the things that we need. He wants us to do that. He wants our lives to articulate our dependence upon him. Then here's a good one. Forgive us our debts. Now, I wish it had just stopped right there. But he's telling me to forgive others' debts in the same way. Do you get that? How many times have you prayed this prayer and never saw that? As we forgive our debts. How many of you want God to forgive you the way you forgive others? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, I'm grateful to hear that nobody raised their hand. What is this? We can't do that. Lord, I cannot forgive as you forgave me. I just cannot do that. And what does this do? It calls me into greater dependence upon him. There is only one way I could possibly forgive as Christ forgives. It is that as I am totally surrendered and I ask him to forgive through me. This is huge. Because there's many of us, many of us that have refused to forgive people who have perpetrated terrible things upon us. Terrible. I'm not discounting for a moment anything that you have experienced or I have experienced. But whatever wrong may have been done to us or whatever wrong we have done, understand, whatever you and I think we've done wrong, there's something much more that we've done that is horrific and that you and I are each responsible for the crucifixion of the Son of God. It was our sin that he came to die for. And God forgave us of all of our sins. And so the question I have to ask myself is, if God, holy, perfect, has forgiven totally unholy, imperfect me, who can I, will I not forgive? Something to think about. There's a ceiling starer at tonight when you and I go to bed. And lead us not into temptation. 
but deliver us from evil. Like, I mean, I don't need God to lead me into temptation. I do a fine job all by myself. But what he's saying here is, Lord, do not, and, and he will not. You can see the scripture. He does not lead in tempta- to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some versions say from the evil one. And that is where we will be next week. Next week is session seven. How can I resist evil? But again, tonight, just as we close, and I thank you for your patience. I've gone a little bit longer. Um, The greatest communication you and I will ever have, the greatest conversation you and I will ever have, you'll have zillions of conversations as you and I are on this planet. We will. But the most important conversation, if what the Bible says is true, is the conversation where I pick up the phone in my heart and I say, Jesus, I do. Come into my life. Take over my life. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I recognize I am a sinner in need of being taken out of Adam and placed into Christ. And you can do that at any time. The phone is ringing. He is persistently calling. When will we pick up the phone? Change your life in the dash and in the line now and forever. Okay. Quick break. Thank you guys for coming. Hope to see you again next week.